Hello, and welcome to season two of Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is here to help bridge the gap between technology and people through each informative episode. On this show, you'll hear exclusive interviews with experts and innovators in the tech space. No matter your level of expertise or ability, I believe you can be excited, informed, and empowered to learn how the rapidly evolving tech world impacts your daily life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee and Code. Before we dive into the show today, I just want to take a quick moment to provide a disclaimer since we're discussing things like NFTs, Web 3.0, blockchain, DAOs, um, and other emerging tech topics on the podcast today, that the information contained in or provided from Coffee and Code podcast is not intended to be and does not constitute financial advice, investment advice, trading advice, or any other advice. Now, let's dive into the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Code. I am excited to have two awesome friends on the show with me today, Alex Wozner and Matt Howitt. Alex Wozner is the CEO at 236 Labs, and Matt Howitt is the CTO at 236 Labs. I'm excited to have them on the show today to talk about all things NFT, DAO, Web 3.0, and more. And I'd like to give a little backstory real quick before we dive in. Matt, Alex, and I actually used to work at Apple way back when. We go way back, so I'm just really excited to have them on the show today um, to talk through these important things with you all. Um, but without further ado, Matt and Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Matt and Alex, would you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself aside from the little uh, um, throwback introduction? Yeah, so uh, I, Matt and I have been kind of working together for uh, quite a few years now. Uh, like you said, I worked at Apple um, and came down to Austin, Texas. Um, I started working at a company down here doing a bunch of like client services. Uh, so working on companies like Select Comfort and Auto Trader, Kelly Blue Book, um, Under Armour, kind of a you know a bunch of the big name companies. Um, but you know it was a fairly small company still. Um, and so got a lot of exposure there. Uh, Matt ended up coming down uh, a little bit later and I can let you kind of, uh, go, go from there with your, um, you know, branch off from there. But, um, I then went over and worked at a news organization and, um, ended up starting my own company and having Matt join on full time. Yeah. I've been, uh, working with technology ever since I can remember, honestly, just, uh, taking apart the phone, taking apart the VCR as a kid playing with Legos, things like that. Um, so it just kind of made sense, you know, when I got older that I'd work in this space. Uh, got my start at Apple, slinging iPhones on the sales floor, worked my way up to uh, being a genius, eventually doing some uh, web development for the iPhone 8 launch. Uh, worked at that same company, as Alex had mentioned, together. 
uh, ended up working at places like uh, JB Hunt, working on their mobile app, and uh, just a couple other places here around Austin. And then finally quitting my job, going full-time, diving straight in in October of uh, 2021 with 236. And it's been a ride. It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Matt Matt's elevator pitch about himself is way better than mine. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I just like him, you know, I, I started working in technology ever since I was, uh, you know, literally probably like second, third grade, um, taking apart things and putting them back together. And I like, had a secret lab in my backyard and I would go on trash day all to, to all the neighbors and uh, find vacuum cleaners and take them apart and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And then started doing web design um, middle school um, and kind of went heavy on the computer science stuff. Um, got my first job doing web development like full time uh, at 16. Um, and, you know, then went to college, became a college dropout and then pick up my story where I started it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You two have really great backstories and I think it's complementary to this intersection of where you two are in this uh, virtual digital space right now. Um, but Alex, can you tell us a little bit about 236 Labs? And I'd love to hear kind of the origin story behind the name. Yeah, so we are uh, what I call an R&D firm. Um, we kind of work with entrepreneurs that are wanting to kind of build up um, a product or an idea that um, maybe they don't have, um, you know, the, the biggest budget to kind of fund. Um, we also work with like larger clients that have a lot of money that they want to throw into like some random idea um, and, and kind of, you know, build out a prototype um, and then eventually take that prototype all the way into kind of like a production scenario, whether that be a mobile app or um, most recently, obviously all the NFTs and blockchain web three projects, um, kind of whatever, like the, the client has in mind, like we try and find a, a cool solution for. Um, and so we, we work with all sorts of technology um, from, you know, we've had to figure out all sorts of weird command line tools and making videos from images without having to, you know, to make them procedurally generated. Um, and so like, I don't know if that explains like the research side of it, but doing random uh, projects for, for clients, that was kind of our uh, forte. And then as far as like the origin, like um, I, I talked to briefly about it before the show, but um, I, I was trying to come up with a name and, uh, you know, I tried all sorts of like research and development type names and couldn't come up with anything that the, you know, state of Texas would approve. Um, they kept denying it because it was too similar to another name or there was a copyright or, uh, you know, trademark on it. And so after being denied like three or four times, I finally just was like, you know what, I'm just going to look at the time and write that down. And so actually when, when I first got it, um, they gave me back to 236 is what I just put down. Um, and they sent me a, a failure letter for that as well. Uh, cause there was some company in Dallas that was like 258 or something. Um, and so I added the labs on the end cause R and D lab. Um, and so fi finally got a name that was, uh, not trademarked and the Texas allowed me to keep. That is, that is so awesome. Actually. Um, <laughs> I love a, a name that has a cool backstory behind it and like what better way to come up with the, the company name is the time. Yeah. In, in computer science, uh, they always say like the hardest thing about computer science or programming is, uh, naming things. <laughs> and I think the same is true for naming products and naming 
Uh, even just like picking out a web domain is just like the worst thing ever. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate to be able to snag my my name domain um, thanks to Nick Brown, who notified me <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, unless you don't have, you know, that luxury, then you're going to have to, you know, do a deep search of <laughs> domains. But I think that's a really good segue into um, some really interesting topics that are floating around right now and that are really catching fire and um, is behind a lot of the work that you do. So it's around NFTs, DAO, and Web 3.0. So Matt, Alex, can you two give your best description for listeners who may not be familiar with these three things? Break it down for us. Yeah, I think um, I'll take the first part and let Matt kind of talk more about DAOs because that's kind of his, uh, you know, re recent hobby, if you will. Um, but I, I think from like a, a high level, um, probably explaining like what Web3 is would be a good place to start. Um, and then kind of going more into the NFT side of things. So you could think about the the web as Web 1.0 being um, a consumption mechanism. Um, you go, you know, early days of the internet, you go on the internet and see content that companies or people provided. Um, there wasn't a lot of like uh, ability to search or find things. Um, it was clunky. It was, you know, heavily, heavily relied on the, the text, you know, interface. Um, Web 2.0 was a lot more interactive. So they brought in social, they brought in um, the ability to buy things and have, you know, customized uh, solutions and um, you know, commerce, a bunch of like the things that we know of the web as today. And uh, Web 3.0 is kind of the next evolution of that. And so, there, you know, if you ask a million different people, they'll give you a, different, a million different answers for what Web 3.0 is. Um, in, in my mind, it's kind of like the, uh, there's two main aspects of it. One, obviously just mm -hmm. AI and heavy amount of data. Um, and so like using AI to make the web um, a more personalized experience um, and using all of the data on the web to uh, kind of, you know, aggregate and create something that isn't, um, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, the, the other aspect is decentralization. So, um, uh, you know, right now on the internet is basically owned by Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, they also own your data. And so like when a new platform comes up, you mm -hmm. either have to export your data from them um, or create a whole new account and do um, a lot of, you know, setup that you've already done. Um, and so the decentralized web is basically removing that middleman who houses all your data and spreading it out so that you can easily move from one platform to another in kind of a decentralized fashion. Um, and so that's that's kind of the the explanation I could think of as, as Web3. Matt, do you have anything kind of to add to that for Web3? Yeah, yeah. The best way to, you know, I kind of imagine it as the umbrella for all the things that we're seeing now in the news, like blockchain, NFTs, DAOs. Um, it just kind of helps sums all that stuff up. Um, but yeah, it's it's still early ages. We were referring to it earlier as kind of like the dial-up era, I would say, of, of some of this technology. Uh, still in its infancy, but. Um, we're starting to define a lot of the utility for it right now. And I think in the future, we're going to look at this stuff and be like, I can't imagine that we were using this for cat photos and they were going for $10,000 a piece. And uh, now, you know, my, my home mortgage is on this thing and it's easily transferable because it's because of web 
3.0. Yeah, and I, I think that like to the analogy of uh, Web 2.0, when you know when that first came out, um, there was a bunch of people you know trying different things. A lot of it failed. Um, a lot of it turned into what we see today. So like Amazon was you know one of those first big e-commerce um, giants. Uh, but like for the technology side, you had things like Adobe Flash um, that w- was a great for like, you know, having a, a beautiful interface and um, adding some, you know, interactions. But from the tech side, like there was a bunch of flaws with it, especially when you come to like screen readers, like screen readers don't know how, how to interact with that. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you see the uh, evolution of Web 2.0 to where it is today, where like it's heavily focused on ensuring that every you know device is going to be able to consume it correctly and every um, type of reader or uh, consumer is going to be able to you know use the technology um, and so just like that um, like Matt was saying that you know we're at the dial-up phase um, web 3 is is so far from uh, where it's going to be in you know five years where everyone kind of can interact with it and um, you know I put a uh, a layer on top of it that's uh, more consumer friendly um, an NFT stands for non-fungible token. Um, and the, the best way of kind of, uh, an analogy for that in the real world is, um, a fungible token is something that is, uh, equivalent on both sides. So you could think of like a dollar, um, you know, $1 is always going to be equal to $1, um, regardless of whether it's a coin or, uh, you know, physical dollar, they're, they're equal regardless. Um, a non-fungible asset is something like a painting, you know, a even a, a white canvas, um, if you put some, you know, a single mark of paint on it, it's going to be completely unique to any other um, painting out there. And so the token aspect of it is the representation of that on the blockchain. So the blockchain is basically um, a cryptographically uh, secure way of uh, verifying transactions. Um, and the act of placing a token and associating it with a, whether that be a, you know, a picture of a cat, like Matt was saying, or a physical painting or um, some other non-fungible asset, a token is created on the blockchain to link those two things together. Um, and so some, some examples of like how that could be used in the real world would be something like, uh, you know, tracking an artist's painting. So uh, maybe, you know, someone paints the new Mona Lisa um, you can track that the person who is selling you the Mona Lisa or the new Mona Lisa is actually selling you the, the real thing. Um, it's a way to verify that the origin of that asset came from the creator of the, paint, of the painting, right? Um, and the, the cool thing that you can do about this that you can't do with current assets like paintings is every time that you make those trades from one hand to another, the artist can get royalties from that. Um, so you can pay back, um, you know, say I spend $10 a painting, five cents of that goes back to the artist. Well, eventually that artwork is worth a million dollars. And when that painting changes hands, the artist doesn't get anything in the real world right now. Um, and so this is a way that on the blockchain, when you make a sale, you can give royalties of every single transaction that's ever been, you know, been done on it. The same thing is true for like music and um, stuff like that. There's lots of cool utility that's going around. And so to kind of your other question of what some of the cool stuff we've been working on is um, we're, we're helping companies and artists add utility to their um, to their tokens. So like, you know, any, a million companies can create a picture they put on the, you know, the blockchain. Um, 
And so adding utility to it is like interacting with the real world. Um, so one, one client we have, they've got a physical store and they're wanting to gate access to custom um, products and custom things in the physical space that you couldn't get access to unless you bought an NFT. Um, Matt, do you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I, I think I like to, the, the best thing about NFTs is how unique they are. And the cool thing that's coming out of them right now is to Alex's point, uh, utility behind it. Something that makes an NFT successful would be its utility. So people would look at things like board apes or uh, punks and things like that. And they might just see, you know, a PNG on a web server that's getting traded for hundreds of thousands of dollars. But there, if you dig into it a little bit more, the teams behind those started to create a special utility behind it. Um, one really cool example is this uh, golf course that recently got acquired by um, a group of people and they sold fractions of memberships of the golf course to the people holding the NFTs. So there's a physical piece of land that has an actual golf course on it. You go on the blockchain, you buy this NFT and all of a sudden you, you're a, a country club member, which is really cool which actually leads into DAOs, what we were talking about earlier, um, where people that own this NFT are able to vote on uh, bringing in new members, uh, naming the golf course, you know, even like hiring outside people to run it, to who cuts the lawn, you know, what's the, the logo even. So um, that's another cool little utility behind it. Yeah, I think one of the things that excites me the most about Web3 and about um, NFTs in general um, is obviously not the images. Like images are great, but you know you see people on Twitter they're like, "Oh, I took a screenshot of your NFT." Um, it it is the utility, and it's also from like a company standpoint. Like there's some really cool stuff you can do. Um, so like right right now, if a small little startup wants to, you know, let's just say uh, you're a company and you want to compete against Coca Cola. Well, right now, like you're a small little, you can't, you know, a small little company, you can't go and compete with the big guys. Um, you can even, you know, try going on Shark Tank and get some funding there, but they're going to laugh you out of the room. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen that happen on Shark Tank, actually. Um, and th the cool thing that you can do with NFTs in that space is you can actually see all of the people who are Coca-Cola's biggest um, buyers. You can see all the people who are your, your competition's um, biggest fans. And you can directly target those people and give them NFTs to try and get you, uh, get them over to your platform. Mm -hmm. Um, or to, to buy your product or to, you know, do, do whatever. Um, so one uh, example of that recently is there is a uh, NFT platform called OpenSea. And it's kind of the, uh, the golden, you know, ticket for the NFT space. Everyone wants to be the next version of that. Um, and so uh, a small little uh, scrappy startup um, called LooksRare came along and they were like, you know what, we're going to give you a cheaper rate and for all the transactions you've done on OpenSea, we're going to give you a token that's associated with that. And so they airdropped tokens that are associated with um, a you know utility on their platform to all of the best and highest spenders on OpenSea. So they did this kind of like guerrilla marketing where they went in there and um, targeted the exact people that they wanted on their platform. Um, yeah, it's it's super super cool. The you know that's one one example of it. But like you can imagine where that can be in five years with um, even larger companies competing with each other. Like the access to all of that data is something that only comes with Web three and decentralization.
It's all visible on the blockchain, which is the greatest thing about it and the worst thing about it. <laughs> there is, you know, everybody was talking about when our blockchain was coming along about money laundering and stuff like that. And uh, everything's visible. So like any purchase that I make now is going to be forever tied to me in the future. Um, like I said, yeah, it's a great thing and could be a bad thing. Not that any of us are doing anything illegal, but um, it's just a forever record. Yeah, bet. So I, I don't mean to like take the entire, <laughs> I want, want you to ask some questions, but um, wanted to put one little uh, comment on that. But uh, with the guy who, uh, one of the top people at OpenSea, um, he was actually doing some quote unquote insider training. So what he was doing was uh, buying up a lot of NFTs of ones that he knew was, you know, we're going to land up on the homepage um, or, you know, have a big spike or something. Um, and so he would buy up a bunch of them and sell them as soon as they started showing up on the homepage. Um, and the only reason he got caught is because of the public ledger. And so people were able to go in and see all of his wallet transactions and he was doing stuff to try and like mask it. Um, but eventually everything kind of uh, was traced back with, you know, a bunch of people with, uh, you know, posters on the wall with red red string <laughs> to try and figure out the the web of uh, wallets. But it, it could be traced back in, in to, you know, to his original wallet. Isn't that amazing? It's it's amazing, and it's also uh, you know, I guess it goes back to the idea of uh, Web 2.0. So you know, I said some stuff in my Zanga and my MySpace pages that I would not want to be found today, um, and so I'm I'm sure that same thing is going to be true in a few years. Whenever people are looking back at their NFT purchases and their you know stuff that maybe is no longer legal according to law, um, but because it's on a public blockchain, it's you know immutable. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guarantee there's going to be some kind of legislation that comes out of this that says, all right, past this certain date, anything that you did on the blockchain, bought or sold on Silk Road and whatnot, like you can't necessarily be held held accountable for that. At least I hope that's <laughs> what happens. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, IRS, they're, they're cracking down on, on a lot of these uh, things too. And, you know, if you miss paying taxes on something, well, eventually, if they don't have the technology now, the technology is going to catch up. But the the you know, the record is always going to be there so they'll always be able to go back and see if you did in fact pay those taxes or not yeah yeah and i think that also extends to um other tools as well like ai and hiring and whatnot but i want to hear more as a startup firm that's based and focused on nfts and web 3.0 projects what are you currently working on that you can talk about? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, there, there's, you know, a lot that we probably can't talk about. Um, a, a lot of the cool things that we're doing are kind of in the e-commerce space, um, doing a lot with like Shopify and integrating the, you know, uh, interplay between NFTs and being able to, you know, buy physical products or digital products um, on Shopify. Um, we're doing, we just did one with um, Deepak Chopra. Um, he's got a company that's doing NFTs for good. Um, and so ba basically the idea is um, using NFTs as a means to raise funds for um, charities and the like. Um, so I think it's kind of cool that, you know, you hear a lot of like negativity about the, the blockchain and about the energy it uses and how it's, you know, just a bunch of p people on the internet, um, you know, wasting money and you know, not adding any value to the world where, you know, I think it's cool to, to work on projects that do add a little bit of value back to the world. And um, back to the original kind of idea that I'd said earlier about 
the royalties and the the painter um you get that same thing with this so like all of the nfts that are sold uh as part of this auction um any trading of that in perpetuity is going to add royalties back to these various charities uh so it's a kind of a way for you to feel good about selling an nft even if you know outside of just the monetary gain you make you're actually by selling it you're you know giving back to um, a charity as well nice um, that's kind of cool um We've also been doing a lot of stuff with like other profile picture type projects. Um, we did a big one with Super Plastic and Gucci um, just earlier this week. That's so cool. Yeah, called, called Super Gucci. Nice. Uh, that that one's actually kind of cool. And profile picture, profile. You might want to explain what profile picture NFTs are. Yeah. Well. So uh, PFP or profile. I mean, you can uh, describe it if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Profile picture NFTs. It's kind of what you see most popular right now, where it's like. A monkey with sunglasses, a monkey holding a banana with sunglasses. Uh, There's usually like 10,000 of them. A lot of people use them as their profile picture. Like Alex has one, I have one. Um, And a lot of people's personas are kind of like imprinted onto those as well. Um, Cyber uh, crypto punks, that's a big one. You'll see a lot of those little digitized punks as people's Twitter uh, profile picture. So the community, which is really fun about like, the web three community is like, we all have our inside lingo. So like PFP, you know, you might've heard HODL um, and stuff like that. So it's all these little, like little nods to the community that you'll see. So profile picture uh, or PFP, that's where that. Yeah. And if you've ever spent any time on NFT Twitter, it is a weird place. There's (laughs) like, when I first got on there, I was like, what does W A G M I mean? (laughs) Um, It's we're all going to make it. Are we all going to make it? Um, and, and so there's all sorts of weird lingo. Um, I think that um, the, one of the things that you may see is on Twitter, um, a lot of the um, big names in the NFT space have a kind of a hexagon, uh, or maybe it's a pentagon around their uh, profile picture. Um, and that's because those people are using Twitter Blue, which I think is their new, um, you know, pro-level Twitter. Oh, yeah. I, I subscribe to that. It's like $2.99 a month and you get like... No yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I, I think as part of that in their beta program, they have the way a way to verify ownership of NFTs. Um, and so people mm. that have little, you know, hexagon around them and a picture of an, you know, some sort of NFT have verified that they actually own that real image. Whereas, you know, mm. you may see other people that are like, I took a screenshot and put it as my profile picture. Um, well, this is a way of verifying on the blockchain that that person actually does own it. Um, so Twitter's kind of buying into that. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird, weird yeah, it's world we live in. <laughs> Great to see big companies like Twitter and like Visa, like anytime Visa or somebody like that announces that they're, you know, starting to hire blockchain developers, like the the whole ecosystem kind of spikes. So... Uh, just seeing everybody moving towards that is really reassuring. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, uh, I have a friend who's a consultant at Deloitte. He sent me a press release that they're starting to offer um, like a new service to like their clientele around the metaverse, including like Web 3.0 and NFTs. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is validating that mm-hmm. to the enterprise that this is here to stay. This is not a fad. Yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely some, some fads in there that I, I think are not going to stick around. Um, 
the the volume of profile pictures, I don't think are going to be, you know, most of the profile picture projects are going to go down to, you know, completely worthless um, outside of just showing your kind of uh, excitement about an artist. Um, But there are going to be a lot that add value and that, um, you know, create these communities that are, you know, like Amazon and um, Facebook of today, it's going to, you know, evolve uh, from the early days of Web 3.0 and kind of, you know, become these behemoths. I'm curious, let's talk a little bit about DAOs and the prospect of converting existing businesses into a DAO. I know that's a pretty meaty topic, um, but Matt, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of research about this lately. Uh, Like I said earlier, we've had a few people approach us like that own multiple businesses and they're like, we're not 100% sure like what we want to do or what this is, but we want to be the first at it, which is the mentality of a lot of companies. But um, I DAOs take the corporate pyramid and smash it pretty much is how I imagine it. They try to, um, it aims to democratize the entire, um, I guess, corporate experience. And by doing that on the blockchain, everything is completely visible and transparent. Um, voting happens on the blockchain, uh, kind of what, what happens here is smart contracts. So let's, let's define what a smart contract is also. Um, so a a smart contract is, is basically like a block of code that is executed on the blockchain. Um, and that code can be NFTs. Um, it can be uh, a cool way of interacting with NFTs or selling things or, acquiring, you know, tokens, acquiring um, assets, you can do all sorts of things um, with a smart contract. Um, And so one of those things that you can do is create logic around how uh, a business or organization is governed and run. Um, And so I think an example that Matt and I had talked about earlier was uh, there's one called the Constitution DAO. And it was a bunch of people that got together and they're like, we're going to buy the Constitution. Wow. (laughs) Um, and so they, they started selling these NFTs and, um, they tried to like, you know, get enough money. I think there was like six copies of the constitution. One of them was going up for sale or something. And they ended up not being able to raise enough money to do it. And the the problem was then they then had a bunch of tokens that they couldn't, um, they couldn't buy the constitution with, but also they couldn't liquidate, um, because pulling it out was worth more than the actual NFT itself. (laughs) So oh, wow. there's a bunch of people with these Constitution DAO tokens that are effectively worthless. Um, but the, that's one example of like a, how a DAO could be used and governed by the blockchain. Um, there was you know rules in place that once it hits a certain threshold, it goes out and executes um, you know transactions. You're, you're asking um, about converting an existing company into a DAO, <clears throat> and that isn't exactly. No two DAOs are alike, just like no two companies are alike. Um, but not every business model necessarily can be converted into a DAO. Um, I was mentioning a while ago that a company like Apple, where there's a visionary at the top, uh, you know, Steve Jobs had the the master vision for the entire company. You couldn't exactly take him out of that spot and allow everybody to have a vote because that's that's pretty much what it aims to do is everybody gets a vote on the blockchain. So I, I think one of the best examples of this that I've seen is a, a VC or a venture capital fund uh, where projects come in, um, VCs get to vote on how much funding and where that funding goes to. 
um, who works on this project. And then it's all governed, like Alex said, on the blockchain. Uh, there's guardrails put in place in a smart contract that are immutable um, that carry out the will of the DAO. So kind of a, a, a little bit more of scaled down version. I was trying to think the other day, I'm like, well, what would be another example that would not be good for a DAO? And for some reason in my head, a barbershop popped up. And I was like, well, actually, a barbershop would be a really cool DAO because if you if you think about it, you've got one building, you've got all these people that uh, have chairs or little uh, stalls at the barbershop. And what you could do is you could issue everybody tokens and that gives them voting rights uh, in the barbershop DAO, if you will. So things that could come up would be like, we would like to put funding towards replacing the sign outside, or we'd like to change the name of the barbershop, or we no longer want Frank as a member of the barbershop because he, you know, nicks too many people's heads whenever he cuts people's hair or, you know, <laughs> yeah, things like that. So, um, you know, that was kind of a fun example that I could think of that where you could turn an existing company into a DAO. Um, Something with physical products. Uh, we've had a couple of people that have companies with physical products that have approached us trying to figure out how to kind of smush that into a DAO. And one issue that we've run into so far is legal status. So companies, oh. yeah, companies trying to be um, legally recognized as DAOs, it's really difficult because of legislation and stuff like that. So. There's, uh, I think Wyoming is currently the only state that legally recognizes DAOs as a uh, organization. So you'll actually see a lot of uh, DAOs based out of that. Um, there's a DAO currently that's buying up land in Wyoming just so that they can issue like the DAO token holders pieces of land. Um, yeah, I think I think that's coming along a lot quicker than. You know, people recognize it's going to be a bigger thing um, in the future for sure, hopefully. But again, not everything should be a DAO. That's for sure. Like if you need somebody to actually run the business and make hard decisions and, and be the visionary of the company, then a, a DAO is probably not your thing. Yeah. I, one additional kind of um, thought on that is I'm a part of a DAO called uh, ENS. Um, there it's the Ethereum naming service. I think it's, uh, what it stands for. Uh, I say, I think, because I don't remember. Um, but ba basically the idea is you can go on just like you can with, uh, the regular domain name service. Um, you can go in and reserve your name. So I own wasner.eth, E-T-H. Um, and I can assign that, uh, address to multiple things. So it can be tied to an Ethereum address. I can tie it to other uh, you know, secondary address, I can tie it to a Litecoin or Bitcoin address. Um, and so everyone has like a record of what that address is. Um, and so you could see, you know, a, a company maybe has, uh, you know, capital1.eth, uh, where you know that it's a verified transaction because it came from capital1.eth. I feel like I've been um, seeing so that, that lately in some um, like email domains. Yeah, if, if you see it on, uh, you'll see it all over Twitter. People have it. I think Paris Hilton's is parishilton.eth. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, pe people are buying their names. They're buying their companies. Um, and the big difference between buying a domain name and buying an, uh, you know, ENS through the ENS uh, naming service is the 
ENS has a DAO associated with it now, at least. Um, and so what they did is they looked at all the people who have purchased domain names, uh, myself and all the other people included, um, and they airdropped tokens. And those tokens are governance tokens. And they allow you to, uh, like Matt said, place votes on things. Um, and so the first thing they had you place votes on, they made you uh, select, you know, kind of five questions as you were onboarding. Um, and then one of those uh, was place your one token or, uh, you know, all of your tokens, or you can split them up or whatever, place all your tokens on um, someone who you want to be your delegate, who you want to represent you in this new version of the domain name service. Um, and the cool thing about that is people applied for it just like they would, you know, running for government office or something um, where they were like, I work at Mozilla. I'm really, you know, passionate about the future of the web and I want to be part of this. I work at Discord. I work at, you know, I'm a small, you know, farmer that is big into crypto or whatever. Um, and you could vote on those people to represent you on the blockchain. Um, and the, the cool thing about that is that if you compare that to the domain name service, I don't have a say in any of that. Um, it's all, you know, a bunch of, you know, yes, there are people that are voting, but it's all people at companies like Google and, you know, Mozilla and people that I don't have access to. Um, and so I don't really have a say if they're going to, you know, change the rules of the domain name service. Um, whereas I do have a slight, at least, um, a slight kind of say in how the ENS is, uh, is governed. Um, so that's just kind of one cool thing you can do with a governance token, um, in a DAO. That is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> wow. Um, great overview, by the way. Thank you. We try. <laughs> yeah, we try to be able to explain it as if you're talking to like your mom or something. Like, how would you explain this to your mom? No, no, it's perfect. I mean, um, I think Apple that's uh, good at helping us, you know, be able to explain technical details in like a basic language terms. So it comes in handy in all aspects of life, hey? <laughs> but this is a good segue into um, my next question. Uh, what are your thoughts on the future of NFTs and the metaverse? I'll, I'll take that one, I guess. Um, so well, we can go off each other's. Um, so I, the first time I was in a meeting where they used the term metaverse, I literally said, I hate that term. <laughs> um, and I do. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it, I think the metaverse, quote unquote, is uh, here to stay. And whether it's, uh, whether it's a, a single metaverse or just a, the metaverses, um, I, I don't know what, you know, back to my original thing is like, you, you could have a million people uh, define what the metaverse is, and it's probably something different to each company. Um, so we worked with a, a company that has their own metaverse that they eventually were like, yeah, we'll just make it into the, you know, merge it into the rest of the metaverse. Um, and so I, I don't think people really know exactly what the metaverse means and is long-term. Um, I think that as far as like the future of NFTs, I think there's some really cool stuff that's in, uh, in the works. I think it's uh, a great concept from a utility perspective, great um, for, uh, adding value to creators, um, so like content creators as well as artists and musicians. Um, well, you could think of it um, as a, a really cool example of that would be, say I have a, you know, my friend's band um, is out there and I want to support them, but I don't really want to buy their $5 album, but I've got some crypto. And so I want to give them, um, you know, uh, a little bit of crypto in exchange for an asset or the rights to their record. Um, so, I'll, you know, they could create an NFT that's like, 
10 rights or 10, 10 licenses of our song or our album or whatever. Um, and you know, right now it's not worth a lot. So I give them a hundred bucks in crypto. Um, well in 10 years, they're a, a famous musician that's touring and Sony approaches me and says, Hey, I want to, uh, you know, give you a million dollars for the rights to that song. Or I don't know how much money people Sony pays for music, but, um, well, let's just say it's a hundred thousand dollars. Um, I paid a hundred dollars for it. They're giving me a hundred thousand. Well, not only do I benefit from that, but the musician does as well. Cause he gets a royalty. Um, so I, I think that's where like NFTs are going to last long-term is, is the adding value and utility, um, to creators as well as, uh, you know, interacting with the physical space. Um, another example of the, uh, physical space thing, they actually had, um, a, uh, uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club had an actual yacht that they threw a party on that you could only get onto if you had access to a, a Board Ape. Uh, they may have done like a plus one. Wow. Yeah, I um, I kind of see the utility of this being a little bit more, um, a little bit different than Alex, I guess. I I think his is his is correct, and I could totally say that too. But I look forward to the day where like my title and registration for my vehicle is on the blockchain. And, you know, whenever I sell my car, it's just as easy as, you know, uh, scanning a QR code and then signing a blockchain transaction. And I get to see, you know, everybody that's on that vehicle, you know, the history of it, things like that. Uh, whenever I go do like my emissions check and stuff like that, like I get a stamp from the emissions place saying that this has been, you know, checked out and then it's forever. No more like losing papers and stuff like that in your glove box. Or, you know, selling your house, kind of the same thing. Um, everything being an NFT in that regards, uh, more of a util utilitarian sort of point of view, I guess, instead of a artistic. <laughs> well, I'm curious, what kind of advice would the two of you have for those who are listening, who are looking to get into the NFT and Web 3.0 space? probably the first thing is this is not legal advice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, my first advice is like um, getting into the, the crypto space um, in an FT space can be expensive um, and you can easily get scammed. Um, so do your research. Um, that's probably the, the first thing um, you can, you know, play around with NFTs um, in a, a less expensive way. Cause like using the, the main platforms like OpenSea and, um, looks rare and some of these other like NFT platforms, if you're trying to get into NFTs, you're going to be spending a, a ton of money just on doing the transaction to purchase it. Um, so for example, if I were to go on and try and sell something, the, the price could fluctuate from $50 to do a transaction to $350 just to trade it, um, based on the, the, you know, uh, various wow. uh, volatility on the, the network at that moment in time. Um, and so like it can, you know, it's not an easy way to just like jump into the space, uh, but there are like cheaper uh, alternatives out there. There's um, side chains and block and, you know, alternative blockchains. Um, Polygon is one of them. That's kind of a side chain to the main network where you're not paying those astronomical fees. Um, there's also some more like um, eco-friendly solutions that are, you know, launching NFTs like Tezos. Um, it's, you know, more, uh, for the artists and kind of uh, green conscious uh, people are, are very heavily involved with Tezos. Um, and I, yeah, I think the, you know, the, the last thing is like, never, 
never put all your eggs in one basket. You know, like if you're getting into the space solely to become a, like a multimillionaire NFT flipper, like, yeah, sure. There are some of those people, um, but, you know, get into it for the, the tech, um, get into it and uh, really dig into the teams behind these projects. Make sure you're getting something that um, you really believe in the utility behind it and uh, understand what you're getting. Um, I think my, my last little bit of advice is uh, you get a seed phrase, which is basically like your uh, golden ticket password to your, uh, you know, your bank account, basically. Um, and so never type that anywhere. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the, uh, the biggest thing I, I've literally seen in work emails, people emailing their seed phrases. Oh, um, no. And, and that is in a, a company that has, uh, you know, whole blockchain side of the organization and and even they made those mistakes so um yikes that would i probably if, if there was a number one thing don't, don't email your seed phrase yeah with, <laughs> and don't uh, lose it. with crypto it's like you're taking the security in your own hands unlike chase or something like that where you know they've got all this infrastructure in place to make sure hackers stay out and, and things are safe but it's so easy to get duped into accidentally doing something uh, these days, especially if you don't know what you're doing. I can imagine all the people that, you know, when Do Dogecoin got popular, a lot of people were aping in because, you know, they were seeing how much money people were making and the price kept on going up and up and up. And then, um, and then it just crashed pretty much. And uh, a lot of people lost a lot of things. Yeah. And there, there are like, um, you know, as far as taking security into your own hands, um, there, there are like, companies out there that are trying to solve that um, and, and give it a kind of, you know, pretty face for the consumer um, to take some of that security into the company's hands. Uh, Coinbase, for example, um, is, is one of those companies that is trying to do the NFT thing now and also the buying and selling and trading of various crypto assets. Um, but there is one kind of caveat with those is you're giving them control. They're in, you know, they're in control of all your custodial or they're in charge of a custodial wallet that is in charge of all your money. Um, and so if that is compromised, unless they're insured, you're losing that money. Uh, so there was a, a famous example of that called Mt. Gox, um, where basically it was a, a way that people were, you know, storing all their crypto assets on this platform. And all of a sudden, uh, I don't remember the exact scenario, but like the thing went under. And so everyone was locked out of their, millions and millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, and there's no way to like retrieve that back. So uh, you can hand it over to an organization, but there's also like, you want to make sure that you choose an organization that uh, is at least ensuring that in some some way that if something were to be compromised, um, that, you know, it doesn't uh, doesn't just disappear out of your, your wallet. That's a, a great, great overview. And thank you for sharing. Um, I feel like we could probably talk for hours and hours on these just topics alone because there's just so much to absorb. Um, but I think you've you've given a really good deep dive uh, into the intricacies of everything. But I'd love to hear from you both, kind of like what are what do you think the future is going to look like? Um, where where are we going to be? What are we going to be seeing? What is like your version of what the future looks like in about five, 10 years? Yeah. So uh, first AI for president. I'm excited for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they won't have a Twitter account. Uh, that's perfectly <laughs> fine. 
But yeah, kind of like what I alluded to earlier, like I'm hoping that the technology uh, gets used in a more like realistic way. It's not just these dumb profile picture images 10,000 times that are getting um, bought and sold over the internet for thousands of dollars. It's got an actual like really good utility for provenance and uh, buying and selling. And I don't think central banks are going anywhere necessarily. Um, I think, you know, they're going to, they're going to be here for quite a while, but whenever Visa and MasterCard and all those people start to really pay attention to the blockchain, I think some of the transactions are going to take place on there um, just because of how quick the transactions happen. But yeah, I think widespread adoption, um, kind of like how VR was where that came out and a lot of people didn't know what to do with it at first. And I think we're still trying to figure out like the best utility for it. But at least with this, there's, in my opinion, a lot more real world sort of uh, utility. Yeah, I, I think that um, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think the um, biggest thing is going to be making it more consumer facing um, for the the average folk. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. it's like, I had to help my sister set up her first uh, MetaMask wallet and buy her first NFT. Uh, MetaMask is just a, a, like a, a wallet that you can interact with, um, the blockchain with. And, uh, she was just, it was just a lot of information to consume. Um, and you know, you, you look at the, the early days of, um, you know, the internet and, and just like the types of people that were on the internet in the early days were the, the nerds, the techie people. Um, you know, sending things on message boards way back in the day. Um, and, you know, now it, everyone can consume it and everyone can use, and uh, you know, say whatever they want on the internet. Um, I think the same is going to be true for Web3 and, um, you know, m- moving into a more decentralized internet. Um, is that it's going to take a little while to get there. There's going to be some bumps along the way. Um, there's going to be some, you know, North Korean hackers on the blockchain doing money laundering, but there's also going to be a lot of innovation. Um, and I, I think that some of the things that I look forward to the most is just the, because everything is decentralized, um, you know, moving from one platform to another is just going to be seamless, um, because all of my data goes with me. So if, like to, to kind of go into that a little further is like, if I was on Facebook and I wanted to move to a new website called Twitter, um, I could just, I don't remember which one came first, but, um, I could literally just log in with my wallet and all of the information about, uh, everything that I've ever said or everything that I've ever transacted with, everything I've ever, you know, um, posted out there is available on this other platform. Um, so I, I know that like when you move, uh, you know, platform to platform, you have to always like update your profile picture and make sure that everything, you know, that represents you is on that new platform. Well, I think in the future, we're going to see a lot more integration with these things, um, that make that kind of transition to a new platform a lot easier. Um, and, you know, social media is one of those examples. I think there's, you know, a million other examples, um, even things like signing up for a bank account. Like I, I can show you my, you know, banking history right on the blockchain. You don't have to go and, you know, review all my, you know, years of, you know, two years of employment and all that stuff. You can just look at what I have in the account and see all the transactions and, and give me approval or denial based off of that, as opposed to like, you know, credit history or whatever. Absolutely fascinating. Um, absolutely crazy, but it's, it's so cool to, to think about what's possible. Um, but it's important to you really, you know, ask the important questions and make sure it is a safe and equitable space. But I'm kind of curious, 
Um, if someone who's listening on the show today wanted to get in touch with you two uh, about a project or collab, um, how would they reach out to you? So as, uh, as much as I talk about the NFT Twitter space, uh, I'm not great at Twitter. Um, I, I get on in the morning just to see the new, you know, uh, hype and talk of the day in the NFT space, but I, I rarely ever post anything um, unless I'm mad at American Airlines. Um, mm-hmm. And But you can reach me out there. I'll, I'll reply to your DMs uh, at Alex Wasner, A-L-E-X-W-A-S-N-E-R. Um, you can also uh, send me some ETH at wasner.eth. Um, and you can uh, hit us up on 236.com. There's a little contact us at the bottom of the page. Um, that's 236speltout.com. Cool, cool. Um, well, Alex, Matt, before we wrap, is there anything else that you would like to share? What you got, Matt? Uh, you know, just don't be afraid to to dive into some of these projects. You know, it's daunting. There's a lot of steps, but it's going to get easier. Um, it's the people that make the future of this thing. Mm-hmm. So, that's- yeah, I I think that if I had like one kind of like last little uh, word of wisdom is just like have fun with it. Um, I think that a lot of people in the NFT space are very easygoing and fun people. Um, there's, you know, definitely some jerks out there, but um, a lot of people that they understand that their image they just bought for a bunch of money is is kind of a dumb idea in general. Um, but that it's they're having fun with it, and uh, that you know, if at the end of the day, if they sold you know a picture for ten thousand dollars, they had a laugh. Everyone else has a laugh at them. Then it's it's still a good place. Um, so I, you know, I think that. Have fun with it. I couldn't agree more. And that's just a really good note to end on. Um, Thank you both for coming on the show and just having this very enlightening conversation. Um, I definitely have a lot of takeaways here. And I'm sure the audience um, has definitely found something insightful and learned something new from you too today. So thank you so much. And um, for everyone listening, I will put a link to 236 Labs in the show notes so you can check out their website. And I'll also be connecting their socials if you'd like to connect with Matt or Alex on social media. But thank you for listening to Coffee and Code. If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, share it with a friend. You can also support this podcast by leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can also share it on social media. It doesn't matter if you have 5 or 500 or 5,000 followers, you have influence. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Thank you so much for listening to Coffee and Code.